I'm Tom Tate, and this is the Power Time Podcast. What's up, Power Players? Welcome back to the Power Time Podcast. This is an audio program for gamers of all ages. This is your journey through the history of Nintendo, one issue of Nintendo Power Magazine at a time. I'm your host and guide, Tom Tates, and we are officially entering, well, we've entered the holiday season. We are in the thick of it, both in the present day at the time of recording here in 2021 and way back 30 years in the past in 19. 19- 91. So let me let me set the stage. So you've got little Tommy T and he was flipping through the Sears wish book with a giant red magic marker and he was circling all of his favorite items Domino Rally, Crossfire, a Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtle faux leather jacket which was amazing which I didn't get that year unfortunately and ambitiously he was feverishly circling all of the hot NES titles. We had Little Nemo Dream Master, Chippendale Rescue Rangers, Adventures in the Magic Kingdom, Ninja Gaiden 3, and of course, a little tiny sliver on one page. We had a display, the Super Nintendo Entertainment System. Again, sadly, I did not get that that year. It'd be a few years until I'd see that under the tree, but I was circling it and I wanted Santa to bring that for me so badly. December 1991, it was a good year and a good month for video games, uh, especially during the holidays. And it was a great month for music and film as well. So the film Hook was released, starring Robin Williams as Peter Pan. It was a great movie. Uh, I remember seeing that in theaters, uh, local theater, just just a one screen in an old brick building. I, I believe it was actually the oldest standing movie theater still in the United States. Uh, that was a good memory of mine. Uh, that topped the, the box office for the month. The number one album was Actung Baby by U2. This is actually their seventh album. Uh, I was pretty taken aback uh, thinking that U2 had already released seven albums by 1991. Uh, Popular songs on that were One and Mysterious Ways. And later in the month, Michael Jackson's Dangerous, which had a weird, super rad cover. I remember seeing the cassette tape of this cover. That featured the song Black and White, and that would top the charts later in the month. And arriving at some point in your mailbox was the 1991 issue of Nintendo Power featuring a fiery red and orange heroine. I'm talking about Samus in the Game Boy sequel, Metroid 2. So let's take a look at this awesome cover. This is volume 31 of Nintendo Power, still $3.50 in the United States and $4.50 in Canada. We see Samus standing there with a very glorious pose, uh, super muscular uh, suit on. We have the arm cannon. Uh, We have a couple colors and graphics in the background, but not too much going on in this cover. It's really just focusing on the character. Uh, It says Metroid Galactic New Game Boy Hits. Other features, we have Super NES, ActRaiser, and NES, uh, Batman Return of the Joker. It's got the official Nintendo seal of quality stamped right on the cover, and it's still the source for news and strategies straight from the pros. 
Uh, but honestly, there's so much more in this issue than just the few games that are mentioned on this cover. I will say, I give a little bit of an eye roll when I see flashy full color covers that promote Game Boy games, because at this time, you're still getting that kind of green slash grayscale experience. So I'm seeing all this color on the on the actual uh, issue here, but the game itself is is not going to be in color. It's going to be black and white at this time. Uh, but we'll cover that when we dive into Metroid 2. Opening the flap, we have power to the player. Join the power underground. Here's an advertisement to get uh, a pretty awesome uh, underground power underground iron-on decal free with a two-year renewal. So they don't even send you a sweatshirt or a shirt. You just get the decal. But hey, for 15 bucks, uh, you really can't beat that. 15 bucks for the entire year. Uh, this was a great Christmas gift, uh, especially if you had that aunt or uncle who wanted to get you a little something something. Uh, hook hook them up with uh, 12 months of Nintendo Power. That's a great gift. Turning the page, we have Powerline. Powerline kind of gives you a glimpse of what to expect. So if you're uh, if you don't have a subscription and you're in the bookstore uh, or you're checking out uh, at the grocery store and you just want to page through, you'll see that this issue has Metroid 2 Return of Samus even more complex than the NES predecessor. We also have Game Boy Adventure Island and Ninja Gaiden Shadow on Game Boy being covered here. Batman is back in Return of the Joker. We visit the Adams Family Mansion in a new NES title, which aligns with the release of the first Raul Julia movie, uh, which I also recall back in the day. And we also get a glimpse of the results of, from a Design Your Own Game Boy contest. I think I mentioned this a while ago. Uh, they hosted a Design Your Own Game Boy contest uh, where people would send in their own designs. And now we get a look at who the winners were. And here's a sneak preview. Coming January 1992, a new and improved N- Nintendo Power will be here revealing the results of this intensive training. And there's an illustration here of kind of a bodybuilder uh, wearing a Nintendo Power 1992 tank top. Uh, and he's holding dumbbells. And on the dumbbells, it says NES, Game Boy, Comics, and Super NES. So we're going to learn a little bit more about this as well. Other games in the table of contents for this issue, we have Act Razor, which was mentioned on the cover, Tiny Toon Adventures for the Nintendo Entertainment System, Super NES Showcase, we'll take a look at Pilot Wings and Populous, and all the hits. We have Nestor's Adventures, the comic, we have Classified Information, Counselor's Corner, Now Playing, Pack Watch, Player's Pulse, and the Top 30. So let's do it. Let's take a look at this episode uh, featuring Metroid 2. The bigger-than-ever follow-up to one of the all-time NES classics, Metroid, has finally arrived. This massive adventure through the tunnels and ruins of the planet SR388 is twice the size of the original game. It features even more high-tech weapons, an incredible army of evil aliens, and a battery backup to save game progress. The Metroid universe has expanded, and it's out now exclusively for Game Boy. Of course, I'm talking about Metroid 2 Return of Samus. And we just heard Kid Overdrive's cover of the SR388 Surface theme song. 
uh, which is definitely you know a song that you hear traversing through this game. There's a link to check out that track, and if you want to purchase it, the full album actually is pretty awesome. Um, this this record uh, is pretty is pretty cool. There's a lot of great tracks, including a ridiculous Shadow Man from Mega Man uh, track as well. Uh, more in the show notes if you want to check that out. Safe states are huge. I believe the original Metroid had a password system, so learning that Metroid 2 on the Game Boy has safe states, uh, or at least the ability to kind of save your game with battery backups is pretty awesome. Uh, turning the page, we learn a little bit about the story. The menace multiplies. The Galactic Federation has sent an emergency order to space hunter Samus Aran. The Metroids of planet SR388 are growing in number and strength. At their current rate of evolution, they'll pose a threat to all peaceful citizens of the galaxy in mere hours. So it's really up to Samus, right, to go and destroy the Metroids before they spread. This is an intergalactic threat, right? So the gameplay for this game, pretty awesome. Like any good Metroid game, it's all about discovering hidden power-ups that either make your adventure a little bit easier or unlocks necessary areas to progress, right? So there's a lot of backtracking, a lot of exploration, uh, but that's par for the course for a Metroid title. Uh, a couple new uh, interesting items here. So in these, this issue of Nintendo Power, you kind of see all the featured items. You have the bomb, you have uh, the high jump boots, screw attack, the Varia, which is uh, your your suit, the Varia suit. This is the introduction of the, the Varia suit um, into the Metroid franchise. A couple of different uh, things you could fire. You have the ice beam, wave beam, spacer, laser beam, and plasma beam. You also have the spring ball and spider ball. So it's common in Metroid to be able to kind of curl up into a ball. Uh, in this, you can actually jump, which is a nice. You don't have to just rely on the bombs to propel you upwards. And you can also get the spider ball, which lets you cling to walls and kind of roll along walls and ceilings, which is pretty awesome. And there's a high jump. There's a space jump as well, which is nice. Uh, in this issue, there's a full map of the planet, and it is definitely huge and complex uh, compared to the original Metroid. So I can totally see when they say that this is bigger than the original. Just looking at the map, I, I believe it for sure. And this is a game where if you did not have the player's guide or Nintendo Power, you have to get out the graph paper. You have to start mapping this out for yourself. Otherwise, you will get lost. There's no in-game map. You can't pause and look at a map here. It's not an easy feat, but it's incredibly necessary. There's so many secrets, so many hidden corridors, and you just want to remember where all the items and all the different uh, encounters are uh, so that you can easily traverse SR388 without having to worry about getting lost or stuck. Um, so I definitely recall that uh, growing up, you know, there were a lot of games like that where you wanted to break out that graph paper and just start making your own maps. Uh, we learn about filling stations and your first encounter with a Metroid. So filling stations are located throughout. They help you refill your energy and reload your missiles. Uh, there are definitely points where you need to take advantage of those. And we also learn about the Metroids themselves. So the first time you encounter a Metroid, uh, it is the Alpha Metroid. So when you defeat this Alpha Metroid, and it's easy, uh, I think five missiles takes down the Alpha Metroid. I just recently played the game for the first time, so uh, I have a little bit of experience. Five missiles takes down the Alpha Metroid, and after you defeat it, a little number counter in the bottom right corner of the screen starts to scramble, uh, kind of like code scrambling, 
um, in a countdown. Or if you think about the, uh, the hit TV show Lost, right? When that countdown would scramble, you'd see all the little symbols. It's kind of like that. And it resets to be one number lower than what it was. And you learn pretty quickly, it's actually a count of all the Metroid that you have to defeat in the game. And after you defeat a certain number or clear a certain area, you hear and see kind of a rumble, like an earthquake, and that will actually open up a new area. So there's a lot of intricacies and uh, exploration, ton of platforming to follow as you're hunting all of these Metroid. Uh, and I forget how many there was. It's, it's somewhere around 30 or 40 uh, Metroid. Uh, definitely 30 plus. Uh, and the graphics are fine uh, for Game Boy. You know, really good for Game Boy. A uh, bit more detailed than Metroid on NES, honest, honestly. Uh, really, it's it's uh, the Samus movement that really shines here, I think. The ball, the spider ball, lets you cling to the, uh, the walls and scale the walls. Running, jumping, everything just feels really slick and smooth. And there's the right amount of enemies on the screen at a given time. I had a lot of challenges with Game Boy games uh, growing up where... You had such little real estate on the screen and they would just populate with so many enemies, right? You just didn't have that much room to move uh, or really traverse the world that you're in. Uh, or the enemies would just appear out of nowhere on the side of the screen and uh, it would be a bit unfair. You don't really get that with this Metroid game. Very smooth. Uh, and as you're paging through Nintendo Power, uh, they're going to help you discover the first few power-ups. They're going to help you discover the first few Metroids. It goes deep into the first maybe quarter of the game. Uh, really not much, uh, but it, it it definitely helps you get started. But after that, you're on your own. So let's listen to another track, and we'll be back to talk about the development of this game and a few memories. <laughs> That was another cover of the Surface theme from this game, this time from Entertainment System. There's a link to check this out in the show notes as well. Another great record if you want to purchase the whole thing. I couldn't find too much on the development of this game. It seems like it fits the mold of early Game Boy games where Nintendo really pushed on bringing the essence of the original game over while adapting it heavily to play well on the hardware. They were very good at that. There weren't too many straight ports from NES to Game Boy. Uh, and we saw this with a couple of games. We saw this with Mario Land, uh, adding new gameplay elements to make it enjoyable on the portable system, really not just bringing over a port of Super Mario Brothers. Uh, we'll see it again with Link's Awakening, Mario Land 2, Six Golden Coins. Really, you know, you see Nintendo at their, their core trying to adapt those concepts to the hardware. Uh, in some cases, it worked really well. Uh, so you start to see it influence the, the next title because it was working so well that you'll see the influences in future titles. And I think with Metroid 2, you definitely had some concepts that get carried over to Super Metroid. So it does feel, instead of feeling like the side story, instead of feeling like uh, Metroid Jr. or Metroid 0.5, it does feel like Metroid 2. 
And it does feel like a precursor to Metroid 3, which would be Super Metroid, which was awesome. The game was developed by Nintendo R&D 1, produced by Gunpai uh, Yokoi, who helped design the Game Boy. He helped design uh, ROB, Rob, and later he'll help design the Virtual Boy. And we definitely talked about Yokoi on the show before. I forget in what context. But Nintendo R&D 1, they helped produce the Game Boy and the original Metroid. So they knew the hardware, they knew the game, they knew the franchise. And you can definitely feel that in the smoothness and the essence of the game and how everything feels just so true to form. Uh, it, again, it doesn't feel like a port. It doesn't feel like they outsource this to uh, a junior team or a different team, uh, which is really, uh, again, it, it, it makes for such a compelling game and one that I recently revisited and had a blast just playing, even though this game is 30 years old. One note that I read from an interview uh, from this website, the Metroid Database, uh, this interview was with Nintendo of America's Dan Osen. Uh, from 1998 so it was after the release of the game Um, this was just before or around the release of the game boy color so the game boy color wouldn't come out until you know another seven years or so Uh, and he was talking about this uh, and he said that uh, well there was a question right so i hear the upcoming color version of zelda Link's awakening for the game boy color will have some new areas added will the color re-release of metroid 2 have anything new also, I know some NES classics are being issued for the Game Boy Color. Any chance of the original Metroid showing up on the small screen? He had a really interesting answer here. So Dan said, well, since R&D 1 was involved in the development of Game Boy Color, I think they were able to put a special Metroid palette in the Game Boy Color hardware. This makes Metroid 2 look really, really nice on Game Boy Color. In fact, it looks a lot like NES, uh, the NES game on the Game Boy Color hardware. Uh, so if you do get a chance to play this, playing it on the Game Boy Color is pretty nice. Uh, it's pretty nice. And for all of those lucky enough to score an analog pocket, this is a great game to re- revisit on that that particular hardware. A few other things to note. Uh, this might be one of the first games I recall rumors of a secret ending. You know, now we have multiple endings for games. But back then, you didn't really have that. You typically only had one or two endings. Uh, this was the first time I re- really remember people talking about this secret ending. And there are, in fact, three separate endings for this game. To get the best ending, you have to beat the game in less than three hours. You get a shot of Samus leaping out of her armor and standing in what looks like a bikini. Now, that statement feels a little not Nintendo, right? It feels a little off-brand for Nintendo, if you ask me. But maybe in looking back at this, at a time when all heroes were boys and men, it might have been Nintendo's way of showcasing that, yes, like Samus is a heroine. She's not your typical hero. Uh, She's a strong woman and they wanted to show that. They wanted to make that known. And when you're only working with so many sprites, I guess a bikini is the way to do it. I'm not sure. I really don't know. Uh, But I thought that that was interesting uh, in looking back that this was like the first secret ending that I remember folks talking about, especially on the, the playground. So the game was re-released on Nintendo 3DS, Virtual Console. Uh, that's a great way to play. That's how I played most of it this past month. Uh, my daughter, my four-year-old daughter, actually erased my save. Honestly, this is not like a my dog ate my homework excuse. She actually found a way to erase my save. Uh, I was at least you know three and a half hours into it. So I ended up just bailing on the game. I didn't want to pour three and a half hours back into it. So I caught a Let's Play on YouTube just to see the final ending and and the parts that I missed. And uh, really awesome game. 
they actually went and and remade this game uh, for the 3DS. Uh, so Samus Returns is the game that was released, and I haven't had a chance to play that yet, so I'm looking forward to to checking that out. Uh, so that's going to do it for Metroid 2. There are a lot of great articles out there worth checking out as well. As always, Hardcore Gaming 101 is one of my favorite sources for uh, just good articles and good research here. Uh, there's also a few Retronauts episodes. So if you want to learn more about uh, Metroid 2, uh, there's a lot you can check out out there in the wild. And uh, I'll link to a couple things in the show notes if you want to dig a little deeper. But we got to keep this episode moving. And I'm looking out my window right now. I'm recording this at home. I'm looking out my window and I see what appears to be some type of signal in the sky. Uh, It looks like it might be the shape of a bat. The Ultimate Comic Book Showdown is here. Batman Return of the Joker from Sunsoft is a seven-stage NES bout featuring brilliant graphics, wonderful weapons, and a ton of treacherous traps. The Clown Prince of Crime is back to mount a new campaign against the Caped Crusader. It's up to you to guide our cloaked hero through a dangerous hive of devilish snares. Great copywriting here in Nintendo Power. Of course, we're talking about Batman Return of the Joker developed by Sunsoft. And the track that you heard was Playing With Power's take on the opening track to this game. There is another band, Start Select, that did a kind of lo-fi cover to this that's really good. I had a hard time choosing between the two. Check out both. Uh, I will have the link uh, in the show notes for this as well. So Batman, it received a 4.3 in graphics and sound, 3.8 in play control, 3.5 in challenge and excitement, and 3.8 in theme and fun. Uh, the original Batman, we've covered that if you've been following along at home. In October of 2016 was when I released that episode a uh, long, long time ago. Exploding head emoji on that one. Uh, at that time, it was released in 1990. It was definitely a gem in the NES catalog, the original Batman. But now we're on the cusp of 1992. The world has seen the Super Nintendo. The world has seen the Sega Genesis. So does this game still stack up in, in the look of that, right? Uh here, turning the page, it says comic book style. Uh, since the Cape Crusader is first and foremost a comic book character, it's only fitting that his latest NES adventure looks as though it's been lifted from the pages of a DC comic, uh, reading verbatim here in the issue. And it really does have that that feel compared to the original, right? So if I remember correctly, the original Batman game at least tried to mirror some of the story beats of the Batman film and some of the look and feel. But this game isn't really based on the second Michael Keaton movie. This uh, game is based on a story of its own. It can take its own cues, and it's taking those cues from the comic book. And uh, according to Nintendo Power, you've got a lot of wonderful toys, quote-unquote, to take on the baddies. Uh, They appear as power-ups with letters on them, similar to Contra. You know, so C here is crossbow, N is neutralizer, S is the uh, shield star, and B is the batarang. And we then get a walkthrough of all the core levels. Uh, Here we have stage one, Gotham Cathedral. The adventure begins where Batman's last encounter with the Joker concluded. The Gotham City Cathedral. 
climb to the top of the tower and follow the Joker's airship to a showdown with one of his henchmen. So it's pretty cool. We have some vertical platforming here. Always nice to mix things up a little bit. Uh, stage two was the Joker's warehouse. The design in this this issue uh, for Batman Return of the Joker is really, really nice. Uh, good layout. Lots of great uh, illustrations, comic book style illustrations of the Joker here. Again, in the comic style, not in the movie style. Uh, and a lot of the page breaks are just H-A, 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 ha, 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 uh, which I think is pretty interesting. Uh, and we continue uh, down. We see some boss battles here. Uh, one thing that I thought was interesting here was how many units of energy you have versus the bosses. So units of energy in this game are calculated in the thousands. So you'll begin uh, with the henchman uh, boss battle, you'll begin with 80,000 units of energy and your opponent will begin with 40,000 units. Uh, I don't know where they came up with those unit numbers, but I thought that was interesting. Stage three, we have Snow Mountain. And I have a personal affinity for snow levels in NES, especially if we're recording this in December. Uh, it is winter time. But if you think about some of those games, Mario 3, uh, the Turtles arcade games had these beautiful snow levels. It's just a really good look. Uh, really cool look for the NES, especially with a black backdrop, you know, like a night sky. Uh, you have the contrast of the snow, snowy mountains, snowy terrain on the black sky. Mm, I love it. Uh, the graphics here do look really clean and crisp, especially for NES. You know, these late generation NES games, they ended up looking really great. And we'll continue to talk about that as we go through more issues of uh, Nintendo Power leading into 1992, 1993. Um, stage four, we have an industrial area. Um, action heroes never go inside moving trains. They run on top of them. So you're running on top of a moving train uh, and you're leading towards the industrial area. Stage five, we have underground conduits. Stage six, we have the army base. And stage seven, we have Ha Ha Hacienda Island. Your fight with the Joker on the army base ends when he uses a backup heli pack to escape to his hideaway on Ha Ha Hacienda Island. You follow him there for a final battle. So a lot of this game, you know, you're riding platforms, you're avoiding spikes, you're confronting tanks. Uh, this is a solid platformer. There's a ton of variety here. It's not just your typical kind of run and gun, jump, shoot, that's it. Um, I rented this game back in the day, but I never owned it. So I think it might be time for me to dust it off, try to find a copy and replay this from start to finish because I loved the original Batman uh, and I don't think I ever finished this one. Uh, and then finally, uh, at the end of this uh, segment, we have the crown prince of crime waits with his final gag in his Ha Ha Hacienda Island headquarters. You've got to dismantle his massive bat crushing machine before he gets to the punchline. And that will wrap up Batman Return of the Joker. But of course, you know, the Super Nintendo was out. So turning the page, you know, and leading to our next featured game, we have Act Razor. All the world's a stage and you are the master. What has the action of an arcade game, the depth of a simulation, the graphics of a work of art, and the sound of an epic movie score? Act Razor from Enix is the answer to this riddle, a game that has it all. You are the protector of a vast land that has been overrun by monsters. Uh, definitely, you know, an interesting game. I remember seeing this. Uh, here we have action mode and simulation mode being called out here in the issue. And this is Act Razor. Uh, it's an incredibly interesting game, as I mentioned. Uh, I recall seeing this game, but not really playing it a ton back in the day. 
I know it's a classic, uh, but it was just uh, also revived on Nintendo Switch, if I believe correctly. There's a, a, a new Act Razor. Uh, it's kind of a, a remake. And I think it's on Switch and a few other platforms. Uh, so it's still classic and still kind of uh, looked at as, as one of those great games. So much so that they brought it back. The general premise is that you have to clear out enemies in certain lands uh, to let the people come in. Once you clear out the areas, the people come in and they repopulate civilization in that area. So that's where the simulation angle comes in. They push this hard. Uh, pages 24 to 33. There's a lot of pages here. Great artwork in this issue. Nintendo Power walks us through a few areas in the game. The mysterious forest of Fillmore. The castle of Bloodpool. The harsh desert of Cassandora, the mountains of Aitos, and we get a few mentions of future areas like the sunless Mabranha and the frozen land of Northwall. So some epic, you know, almost Game of Thrones, uh, Song of Ice and Fire style names here. So there's some lore, there's some story, there's some action. And, you know, this game was mostly an action platformer in those particular stages. Then you have the simulation mode. And this is Super NES Baby. This is amazing sprite work like if you're looking at these sprites we're looking at graphics that are somewhat akin to castlevania 4 that's probably the closest comparison we have back in december of 1991 you know this is not the cartoony super mario world we're seeing some epic epic you know this is where you start to see uh the comparison of you know the console wars we start to see graphics like this action like this going up against the more mature sega genesis and i'm i'm there for it i love it uh, the boss sprites look cool too. So I definitely need to add this to my list of retro games to visit. But hey, we're going to jump back to the NES for another classic. They're creepy and they're kooky. And now the Adams Family, you know it, I know it, made famous by the campy 60s TV show, haunt a whole new generation in an all new movie from Paramount and a mysterious and spooky NES game from Ocean. I just have to say, you know, God bless Ocean. Ocean was notorious for bringing us all of the they're so bad, they're good movie adaptation games. Uh, Jurassic Park, you know, was one of those games as well. We'll cover that in the future. Uh, with this one, you know, the Adams Family, developed and released by Ocean, 3.3 graphics and sound, 3.1 play control, 2.9 challenge and excitement, and 3.2 theme and fun. So not bad scores, pretty average. Uh, here we have uh, Get To It Gomez. Good heavens, except for Gomez, everyone in the Adams Family seems to be missing. It's time for him to lurch into action and get to the bottom of things. Lurch in uh, capital capitalized here, capital L, and things, capital T. Of course, Lurch and Thing were characters in the show. Uh, Uki moves, duck danger, high jump, you need dough. Uh, so a couple call outs here. You know, it's an interesting, interesting game. This was crazy. You're collecting money, right? To save Morticia, Gomez has to cough up a cool million. So you're looking for a million dollars in this game. So save every dime you can find. Bags, bars, and bills. It all adds up to pay the hefty ransom. Uh, so if I remember correctly, because I love this game as a kid, very challenging game, but if I remember correctly, it was Metroid-esque in that you could revisit 
all or most areas of the Adams mansion. Backtracking, getting keys, unlocking different routes. That's that was all part of the gameplay. You had to find each member of the family. So you would enter the furnace, the freezer, the garden, the library, the dining room, the attic, all the different areas of the mansion uh, had a different theme. You would go explore it. And at the end of that, you'd find another member of the family. Uh, Meanwhile, as I mentioned, you're also collecting money. You have to pay that ransom to rescue uh, Gomez's wife, Morticia. So the money, while it was a collectible, it did serve somewhat of a story purpose. In one segment, I remember you have to make a shrinking potion by collecting three unique items. And that's covered here in the issue of Nintendo Power. There's definitely some complexity in creative design here. Uh, You had to collect multiple items to create one item to allow you to rescue one of the family members. Uh, So I like that there was a little bit more creativity. It wasn't just that straightforward linear platformer that we saw so much of in the NES, especially by this time especially for movie adaptations where they typically tend to phone it in a little bit. Um, Ocean actually did a pretty decent job. I liked this game a lot. As for the spread, Nintendo Power gives you tips and tricks on where to find each family member and how to navigate the various areas. And there are photos from the film really to up the authenticity uh, and show that this is connecting to the movie, which, as I mentioned, top of the box office, December 1991. So the timing couldn't have been more perfect. Hiya, gang. Welcome to Acme Acres. Unfortunately, we've just come back from the animation festival to find out that Montana Max has kidnapped our friend Babs. Can you help us rescue her? They are tiny. They are toony. And this, of course, is Tiny Toon Adventures Troubled Times at Acme Acres. Uh, This was released for the Nintendo Entertainment System. Uh, Great scores, 3.6 graphics and sound, 4 play control, 3 challenge and excitement and 3.7 theme and fun so does this sound a little familiar instead of being gomez rescuing uh morticia you are buster bunny out to rescue babs right so very rinse and repeat formula here for movie and tv adaptations but again another classic game i mean i really love this i was just as much into tv as i was into video games back in the 1990s so whenever the two crossed paths It was a really fun experience, uh, especially because this was the best we had in terms of graphics. And it was great to see kind of a cartoony look and feel in the game. In this game, like Super Mario Brothers 2, you could choose your player. Uh, So you had Buster, Plucky Duck, Busy Devil, and Furball. And you could pick up an item. uh, Unlike Super Mario Brothers 2, you could change your character mid-level. So you could pick up an item that would let you change characters right in the middle of the stage. Each character had unique abilities. Plucky could swim better uh, or fly for a brief period. Dizzy could spin and cause damage. And Furball, I believe he could crawl up walls. So in the interest of time, you know, I'm not going to go too deep into Nintendo Power's coverage here. But you have your standard fare. You're looking at six pages of coverage, screenshots of the levels, some boss strategies, really taking you through four levels and then teasing Monty's Mansion, which I believe was the fifth and final level. Uh, next, let's take a look at some of the Game Boy games covered here. So in addition to Metroid 2, we also get a look at Ninja Gaiden Shadow. 
1985 AD. I love that they specify AD here. Three years before the Battle of the First Ninja Gaiden. Uh, Jakeo still sleeps, but the first stirrings of the forces of evil are heard. The minions of Jakeo descend upon New York in their first attempt at conquest. The city cowers in despair until a young ninja in training, the last of the Dragon Clan, steps forward to meet the challenge. He is Ryu Hayabusa. <laughs> Ryu Hayabusa. Uh, his ninja training has yet to be put to the test, and he stands alone, but he is firm in his resolve that evil must not triumph. 1991 from Tecmo. Uh, this is Ninja Gaiden Shadow. Again, it's a Gaiden of a Gaiden, which I love, right? It's a prequel to the original. I never played this. Uh, I might I might actually pick up and play this one because I had mentioned the Analog Pocket earlier. I did get my hands on one and it is an amazing piece of hardware. So I'm looking for Game Boy games and Game Boy Advance games to play. If you have any, let me know uh, on Twitter, Yo Power Time, Yo Power Time. I'd love to hear your favorite handheld games from the Nintendo eras. Uh, hard to imagine that this lives up to the speed and the intensity and the smoothness of the NES Ninja Gaiden, but I'll have to try it for myself. We also see Hudson's Adventure Island on Game Boy. It looks like a pretty true-to-form port of the skateboarding Master Higgins's classic Adventure Island 2, so the second Adventure Island being ported to the Game Boy here. For Super Nintendo, uh, we get a few uh, games in addition to Act Razor. We have Pilot Wings. So Pilot Wings, of course, is that cartoony pilot sim. Uh, we also have plane flying, skydiving, hand gliding, rocket belting, lots of interesting aerial adventures happening in Pilot Wings. Lots of Mode 7 graphics too, I believe. So you, you get a lot of that uh, technical graphical uh, exploration that the early devs in the Super Nintendo era were doing. And in these early SNES days, I remember seeing more F-Zero than Pilot Wings. I feel like that was the more popular release. Uh, but when we get to the N64's debut, we'll talk about Pilot Wings 64 because I remember that being way more popular for that console than this was for Super Nintendo. But we'll cover that later. Uh, but Pilot Wings, you know, it got its start on Super Nintendo and uh, it's covered here. We also take a look at Populous. The fate of 1,000 worlds is in your hands. Populous by Acclaim has four megabits, four megabits here on the Super Nintendo. Honestly, Populous, I remember seeing it. Maybe I rented it once. Way too complex for my blood. Very strategic. It's got that isometric view. And I remember seeing this game and just feeling super overwhelmed. But I'm sure it's not bad. I'm sure it's a fine game. Moving on to the now playing segment of today's episode, we'll take a look at all the games that weren't reviewed formally. They weren't featured formally, but they were released recently. We see Tailspin uh, based on the Disney afternoon TV show. Love this game from Capcom. Very bright, very cool colors. You fly a plane, which is fun. I guess this would be considered a cute em up. I'm not sure, but this was definitely a, a great game from Capcom. Golf Grand Slam from Atlas. We have Kung Fu 2, Home Alone from THQ. Home Alone actually got three different games, Super Nintendo, NES, and Game Boy. Haven't dug deep to see the differences in all three, uh, but I do recall the NES version, of course. Uh, Paperboy 2 on Super Nintendo and Bill Lambier's Combat Basketball, which was an unrealistic sports game uh, with Android duplicates of Detroit Piston, Bill Lambier. Uh, which is a really interesting premise for a game. Maybe they only got the rights for one character from the Pistons, uh, unlike NBA Jam, which had multiple characters, and they just replicated them uh, in this absurd plot line. 
Barbie and Treasure Master end up on the list. Uh, no notes or screenshots. They're just listed here with the scores. The scores were so, so low, they didn't even want to cover any of this. Uh, fun story, I actually bought Treasure Master at a Toys R Us in a future birthday. This was, you know, maybe three years later. Uh, it must have been in the bargain bin. If it wasn't in the bargain bin, it should have been in the bargain bin. It was terrible. Treasure Master is a bad game. This was hands down one of my biggest video game purchase regrets of all time. Moving on to our next segment of the episode, previews, uh, we take a look at the games that will be released soon. Uh, the section of the magazine Pack Watch covers a lot of NES packs that are coming out in the future. We have The Simpsons, Bart vs. The World. This looks way better than The Space Mutants, uh, which I was not a fan of. We have Ramparts. I love this quote. Imagine Strate- Stratego, Tetris, and Pirates combined into one strategy action game. Yep, we found it pretty hard to imagine too. Uh, I love the the way that they they tee that up. Mega Man 4. Mega Man 4 looks so good. Uh, When you are a Mega Man fan and you start to see glimpses of the future Mega Man games, regardless of of what we know now, you know, having played some of the later NES Mega Man titles, they just look so sick. Uh, We have a big purple robot hippo. We have new bosses mentioned like Pharaoh Man, Drill Man, and Dive Man. We have a mega villain, Dr. Kassok. Uh, it's actually the wrong name listed here. They they changed the name later on. Uh, but it just looks so good. Mega Man 4, can't wait to review that in a future episode. And Monster in My Pocket, which was a Konami side-scroller based on those little toys. Uh, I can't remember. They were toys, but they might have also been like trading cards too. They were really popular in the 90s. Monster in My Pocket. And for the SNES Development Dispatch, where they kind of show some of the games that are being developed, we have Super Off-Road and Smash TV. Super Battle Tank, uh, here it says, features graphics that are reproduced of actual photos that have been broken down into digital bits. The game itself is based on the Persian Gulf conflict and looks so real. You'll wonder if it's Super NES or CNN. I would argue that you'll probably know that it's Super NES, but I'm just reading what it says here. And we also see a rumor, this is a big one, Turtles 4. I mean, we are in the heat of TMNT mania, has not died down by 1991, and just hearing about Turtles 4 was enough to get me excited back then. And I'm excited just thinking about covering this in the future, knowing that Turtles 4 is indeed Turtles in Time. Game Boy previews, Star Trek, Gradius Interstellar Stellar Assault and Adam's Family uh, for the Game Boy. I don't recall that one. Next up, we have That's So Retro. In this segment of the show, we take a look at all the things that are just super retro. I mean, 30 years old. It was a long time ago. The 90s were a different time. Uh, and here we have a pullout poster. Nintendo Power was known for their pullout posters. The problem with the pullout posters, though, one side often had a strategy guide or a map or something that had a lot of utility. It was useful. You wanted it. You didn't want it on your wall. You wanted to hold it, write on it, make notes. Uh, You need it to progress in in certain games. But the other side of the poster had just a totally rad poster that you wanted to hang up on your room. So if you hung up the poster, you sacrificed the strategy. And we have that here. So this issue, we have Turtles 3, the Manhattan Project, as the poster, which is odd because we didn't really mention it in today's episode. And we have maps of stage four, five, and six of Tiny Toons on the other side. So if you wanted those maps, you sacrifice the Turtles poster. Really tough predicament for, you know, an eight-year-old or a nine-year-old at, at this time, right? 
the celebrity profile. Uh, typically, Nintendo Power will, will write up uh, a quick article about a celebrity who likes video games or maybe has played a video game at one point. Uh, this issue has Mayim Balik. I think I'm pronouncing that correctly. You know her as Blossom from the hit TV series Blossom. Here it says, Mayim became an avid Nintendo fan when she first discovered Tetris. I love playing video games because when I pick them up, I'm suddenly in a different world. I wouldn't really call Tetris a different world, but okay. Uh, That is a familiar concept considering that Blossom's anxieties are often reflected in a series of outrageous dreams, one of which included meeting Alf at the gates of heaven. I don't remember that episode of Blossom, uh, but I kind of want to go look that up and see if it starred the real Alf. And I don't know, just sounds ridiculous. Also in That's So Retro, we're going to talk about the Ultimate Game Boy Design Contest. So after Volume 27 was released of Nintendo Power, uh, the mailboxes of Nintendo of America started to fill up with submissions for the Ultimate Game Boy Design Contest. And they received uh, apparently tens of thousands of submissions. I'm not sure if that's true. Uh, first prize of this, and we're seeing illustrations, I guess the original illustrations that people submitted of these Game Boy designs where they just designed the shells, the Game Boy shells, what uh, the the DMG would look like had they been able to redesign it, right? So one has kind of this interesting perspective view, looks super futuristic. The other has handles, uh, which actually looks like some of the pro controllers that you can actually get for the Switch now, which is an interesting thought. Um, but it's pretty cool that it's, it's kind of a Game Boy fitting into a grip. Uh, one of them was a bit of a Donkey Kong theme, like a jungle theme uh, from uh, Le Dong Clig from St. Lawrence, PA. Uh, those were your first prize winners. And then a bunch of runners up, right? So you had, uh, again, just some funky DMG01 shells uh, where people just drew a bunch of cool stuff. Uh, nothing really too amazing here. Uh, up next, we have Nestor's Adventures, which was a comic, of course, from Nestor. Uh, it begins with Nestor bickering with Zeus as he does uh, a bunch of ancient challenges. Uh, and this is a Kid Icarus inspired comic strip. Uh, it ends with Nestor waking up from his dream, uh, but with arrows puncturing all of his school books on the floor. So he fell asleep studying, had a dream, woke up, but was it really a dream? There's arrows all over. Uh, really interesting Nestor comic here. I'm excited for the next issue because they're promising more comics and I'm excited to cover what that actually entails. Up next, we have classified information. Uh, We have some tips and tricks from the pros. The Simpsons and Battletoads are featured here. Two very difficult games, so we definitely need them. Uh, Wampum, tips for getting extra energy. Laser Invasion, never heard of that. Uh, We have The Last Ninja here as well. Never heard of that game. Uh, We also have Super Mario World tips and tricks. There's a freeze and collect uh, trick here. Here's a trick for Super Mario World pros. You can earn coins and one-ups at a lightning fast rate if your timing is perfect. You'll need Yoshi to pull off the move. Plus, you'll need an item in your item box that is different from the item you're wearing. Enter a course that you have already completed and ride up to a berry that is just above Yoshi's mouth. Then release the item by pressing the select button and have Yoshi jump so that he eats the berry and the item at the exact same time, all of the action on the screen will freeze except for the coin and one-up totals, which will mysteriously increase at a rapid rate. Every 100 coins will net you another one-up. And 
uh, after you've collected the maximum of 99 one-offs, press the start and select buttons to exit the course. So this is not a tip or trick. This is a bug, <laughs> clearly a bug in the game in Super Mario World. I never knew this before. I just read this for the first time this month. Uh, very interesting. Uh, Darius Twin, which was a shoot 'em up There's a 50 lives trick there. Uh, and up next, we have Counselor's Corner, where the counselors really dig a little bit deeper into the strategy. These were less codes, more strategy. Uh, Crystallis, where is Sabera the Witch? Super Mario World, where's the secret exit from Cheese Bridge? And Star Tropics, this was genius, right? What is the code to reach Chapter 5? Uh, as we mentioned in the past, Star Tropics had a piece of paper that you dipped in water to get a special code that allows you to progress through the game. Um, if you lost that page, if you lost that paper or you bought a used copy of the game, uh, you were kind of out of luck. <laughs> there was nothing you could do, right? I uh, thought that was interesting. We also have game counselor profiles. Uh, the game counselors are uh, mentioned here. There's four of them. Uh, typically, they're all males. Uh, there's one female here, uh, one woman. So I always like to uh, call out whenever there was a woman game counselor. I sure wish there were, were more of them. Uh, it seems like it was kind of a, a boys club. This is Gail Weiler. Uh, she became a game counselor in July 1990. Her hobbies include writing poetry, AD&D, and dragon models. Pretty awesome, if you ask me. Uh, her best video game accomplishment finished Super Mario Bros. 2 with one man. And her favorite game is Final Fantasy. I definitely noticed a little trend here. So you have Josh Davis, Mike Robertson, Chad Lichen, the other game counselors who are profiled here. Their favorite uh, or best video game accomplishments uh, finished NARC with three men. Uh, finished Solstice in one man, uh, and then Chad finished Final Fantasy Legend in one day. Pretty impressive. There is an intense full-page map for Faria, which actually makes me never want to play the game after looking at the complexity of the map here in Counselor's Corner. And finally, uh, some Goonies 2 hints. Looking at the screenshots, I forgot how similar Goonies 2 and uh, Friday the 13th for NES were mechanically. They look super similar. I probably would have said they were the same game looking at some of these screenshots. The next segment of the show, we have Are We Having Fun Yet? And this is just where I collect some of the odds and ends, some of the fun things that I picked up throughout reading this issue. The Players Poll Contest is amazing, this issue. You can see for yourself how Star Wars special effects were created. You could win a trip to Star Wars HQ and this was probably one of the more appealing kind of contest rewards uh, or prizes that I've seen, which is pretty cool. You can tour Industrial Light and Magic to see how Star Wars created their special effects, tour the Star Wars archives, see a special screening of Star Wars, uh, look at video games that were being under development at the time from LucasArts Games. Really cool prize, especially if you were a Star Wars fan. And 1991, who wasn't? Uh, Star Wars was awesome, uh, still is. Uh, players pulse. Uh, oh, sure. The Super NES is awesome. But a few issues back, we asked you to tell us what your ultimate game system would do. A lot of you wanted your dream systems to do your chores and homework while others just wanted theirs to spit out cold, hard cash. Uh, here are some of the more interesting answers we received. So players pulse is when um, you'd ask a question uh, in the magazine and people would write in their answers. Uh, this is an interesting one. Uh, my fantasy game system would be co a complex 512-bit system. It could display 27,876,992 colors at one time and could play any game from any video game system that was ever or will ever be created. Uh, there would be a miniature band inside that knew how to play any song. 
You could even buy a special chip that would allow you to make your own games for it. What game would come with a system, you ask? Super Mario Galaxy, better known as Super Mario Bros. 24, the system would come with six 27-button controllers and would cost $259.95, and I would call it the Raw Power System. Jimmy Peterford, Glen Cove, New York, predicting the future, not with the console, but with Super Mario Galaxy being the name of, of the game that would be released on Nintendo Wii many years later. Uh, I wonder if Nintendo uh, you know, filed that uh, in the archives and said, hey, Maybe we'll dust this one up in the future, you know, dust it off and, and, and actually create this game. And they did. And finally, as we wrap up today's episode, we'd like to take a look at the top 10 from the NES top 30. We're going to start by uh, looking at the Game Boy's top 10, Super Mario Land, TMNT, Fall of the Foot Clan, Dr. Mario, F1 Race, Final Fantasy Legend, Castlevania The Adventure, Operation C, Batman, Sword of Hope, and coming in at number 10 was Gargoyle's Quest. And if we look at the NES Top 30, I'm just going to read off the top 10. We have Super Mario Brothers 3, TMNT, the arcade game, Final Fantasy, Battletoads, Crystallis, Dragon Warrior 2, Mega Man 3, The Simpsons, Bart vs. the Space Mutants, Tetris, and at number 10, we have Super Mario Brothers 2, uh, which here it says they spent 37 months in the top 30. That is a long time. Uh, it's a great game, so not surprised. And then there's a preview for the next issue coming in January. Bigger, better blockbusters. Beginning next month, we're adding regular comics that feature your favorite NES characters or favorite Nintendo characters. Every issue will be 16 pages longer than before. NES, Super NES, and Game Boy departments will be color-coded and easier to find. The top 20 for each system will be listed in a new feature that replaces the top 30. No matter what system you have, you can count on complete coverage of the best games. Next month's Powerhouse issue reviews the latest and greatest for each system, then in a special preview takes a look at an eagerly awaited sequel, The Legend of Zelda, A Link to the Past. I cannot wait in January of 2022 to take a look and and bring this to you in our January 1992 issue. So time to get time to get stoked for the new year. I'm excited because I have the power of seeing into the past. I know that the cover of the next issue is actually Castlevania 4, uh, which was previewed in the September 1991 issue. So Castlevania 4, another amazing game. We'll be talking about it next month right here on the Power Time Podcast. We'll see more of Mega Man 4. We'll also see a new TMNT ent- entry on Game Boy. Featured uh, music for this episode, the intro and outro to Power Time is by Azure Flux. It is used with permission, so thank you so much for that. We heard two takes on Metroid 2's theme from Kid Overdrive and Entertainment System. We also heard the in-game music for Batman Return of the Joker. Uh, No, Batman Return of the Joker. Um, We listened to Playing With Power, uh, which was an amazing cover. We heard the in-game music for Adam's Family and Tiny Toons uh, directly from those actual soundtracks. And as we wrap up today's episode, I want to thank you, as always, for your time and your attention. I hope that you have an awesome holiday season. Uh, I was thinking about doing a holiday live stream bonus episode on YouTube or Twitch before Christmas. I don't think it's going to happen, but I might be able to pull it off between Christmas and New Year's. If I do that, I'll announce it on the podcast feed. So be on the lookout if you want to hang out. Uh, and and check that out. Stay safe out there. Our family was just getting over the flu, confirmed case of the flu. There's a lot going around out there. 
I hope a few of you can get some time off. Don't forget to rest and recharge your brain from time to time. Hopefully this time of year is an opportunity for you to do that. Stay tuned for the next one. And as always, play hard, score high, and be excellent to each other. Keep on playing with power.